You know, I remember the first time that I read the New Testament, and I couldn't believe it, because I had grown up in the church, and so I was really familiar with who Jesus was, or I thought I was, because after all, I grew up, and I would go to church, and I would hear all these stories, i hear all these things about Jesus, and really I thought that he was just kind of bland. I just thought he was really predictable. And, and then I went to a youth group, and the youth pastor there challenged us and said, uh, actually go home and start reading this stuff on your own. Don't just take it for what I say or take it for what uh, the person on your TV says. Actually go home and discover it for yourself. So I took him up on it, and I went home, and I just couldn't believe it. I remember I started at the book of Matthew, and I was just amazed at some of the stuff in there because I, w- I thought that Jesus was going to do this one thing. turns out he totally did the complete opposite. And that wasn't just once, but that was time and time and time again. It's like any time that I thought I could put Jesus in a box, he would break out of that box. And, you know, for sure, I don't think that I was the only person in this world to have that same experience. I think there's a lot of people in our culture who have kind of this misunderstanding of who Jesus was. You know, after all, um, Jesus is incredibly popular. It's almost amazing at how... Um, and how many people know who Jesus is. You know, you can be in a remote part of the world where there's not even internet, and yet somehow people there know who Jesus is. Uh, it's absolutely amazing, and that's why we called this series Pop Jesus, uh, like he's popular, you know, pop music, pop Jesus. And so uh, today we're going to find that Jesus was actually very revolutionary. But you know, even though that Jesus is so popular in our culture today, uh, it's actually amazing that it's not just people who are believers or go to church who, who like Jesus. It turns out that actually a whole bunch of people like Jesus. Uh, even if they're not Christians, they really like Jesus. You know, um, you can take someone who has never been to church before, but, but they hear about Jesus or they see a picture of him, and they say things like, oh yeah, you know, he's a really nice guy. Uh, you know, we start to come up with all these images and, and descriptions for him. We say things like, well, he's a hippie, and he's, he's just really peaceful and just, just really loving because that's who Jesus is. And, and yet it's really interesting that a lot of people are, uh, feel that way about Jesus. And then it's really interesting a lot of people feel the, differently about the church in general. So people will hear about a church and say, oh, well, it's, it's all this institutionalized, organized re- religion. And I'm not really into that, but Jesus, oh yeah, we like Jesus. And I think that part of the reason why, how we end up in that dichotomy is simply because of the way we describe Jesus. It's not really accurate. It's not really from the Bible. Instead, it's just kind of either from our own perceptions or from the way the media portrays Jesus. Um, It's just kind of this, uh, he's just a really nice guy. We even have Gandhi. He says once, he's quoted as saying, I like your Christ, but not your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And and so I think that we can look at Jesus and say uh, that Jesus is this really peaceful, kind of a hippie. But, but, you know, that's not really the way the Bible describes him. The way the Bible describes Jesus is he, he gets angry. It's righteous anger. He's angry at sin, and he's angry at what they're doing to his father's house, that he literally flips tables over. And I tell you, that is, that is not the uh, kind of a hippie, softy, kind of a nice guy image that we get with Jesus so many times. Now, how does the media portray Jesus? Well, probably all sorts of different ways. So here we go. Uh, Let's go to this next slide here. This is a lot of fun for me. Uh, This is South Park. 
And this is actually one of their first seasons. And uh, look at the way they describe Satan. I mean, he's this really, I mean, look at the biceps on this guy. I'm just saying. And, and then, then we look at the way they portray Jesus. And, and in the episode, he can't even, barely even throw a punch because that's how weak he is. So that's one image that we have of, of Jesus in pop culture. Let's go to the next one here. Uh, if, you, if you recognize where this is from, we'll have confession later. This comes from uh, Dogma from 1999. And, you know, it's kind of one of those uh, kind of druggy movies, actually, comedies. But uh, they take a few uh, cheap shots at the church. And in, so they show the church and people are sleeping and the lady's balancing her checkbook. It's really boring. And so to make Jesus more interesting, they decide to make this statue, Buddy Christ, and it's the Fonz. Hey! And that's, that's one image that we get of Jesus in pop culture. And let's go to our final one. Uh, now, this one cracks me up. So this is from Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell. And he's having a scene where he's going to pray. And before he prays, he actually prays to the baby Jesus. And every time he says, oh, baby Jesus, baby Jesus. And the guy next to him says, you know, Jesus, he's not a baby anymore. He's all grown up. And, and Will Ferrell responds, well, but I like the baby Jesus. Now, what's really funny about this is in a Will Ferrell movie, we're actually getting a theological conversation about what we're talking about this morning. Who is Jesus? And here we are, Talladega Nights, theological conversation, who knew? And Will Ferrell's point was, I know that Jesus is all grown up, but the Jesus that I like, not the real one, but the one that I like to custom make it for me and my needs, I really like the cute, cuddly version of it. Really interesting. And so it seems like pop culture has their answers. It seems like our friends, it seems like every religion, everyone's got this answer to the question, who is Jesus? And this is the most important question that you're going to ask right here, is who do I say Jesus is? Who do I say Jesus is? You know, the uh, disciples were hanging around Jesus, and Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And they kind of give this cop-out answer at first. They say, oh, well, we've heard some say you're this, and others say you're that. And he looks them directly in the eye and says, well, who do you say that I am? I don't care what other people, who do you say that I am? And I think that's what our, our lifelong question for us to answer, our, our task as disciples, the most important question we're going to ask or answer, is who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? You know, in our video that we made, we had all sorts of different answers, right? So we had, um, my favorite in there was Homeboy. Did, did you, has anyone ever seen that t-shirt from like way back when? I, I don't know. There's, you can Google it. But Jesus is My Homeboy was a t-shirt. Uh, it was really popular a few years ago. Actually, if anyone can bring one next week, I'd really like to, to wear it. But maybe I'll get my hands on it. Um, but, you know, we had all these different answers. We had, uh, we had friend, we had moral teacher, we had um, protector, we had, is he kind of like a butler to you just to get you whatever you want? I mean, who is Jesus to you? You know, it seems like whenever, if we were just to close our eyes and picture who Jesus is, it's almost like we would, we have, um, you know, maybe a certain image, uh, this kind of pop image. In fact, the, the image that I chose to use here is actually sort of like the Buddy Christ. Um, and I don't know if that's totally accurate. In fact, I don't think it's accurate. But the reason I chose it is because I think this is a popular image of Jesus. But really, whenever we think about who Jesus is, a lot of times what we do, we make the mistake of projecting who we are onto Jesus. So it's almost like 
Um, if we look at ourselves and what we like and what we don't like, and we can project that onto Jesus and say, this is who Jesus is. And we're actually mirroring who Jesus is uh, after ourselves. And what's really dangerous about that is, of course, we have Genesis 1, that we are made in the image of God. So we are made in God's image. God is not made in our image, but that's what we tend to do. We tend to make God into our image. And in fact, I heard a, a really uh, cool quote that I saw on Facebook. Again, uh, stuff that can be redemptive from Facebook, who knew? But there's a really cool quote, and it said this. It said, you know that you've made God into your image when God hates all the same people you do. I mean, isn't that deep? Holy cow. You know, it's almost like, what if we just turned off the History Channel or turned off Google for a moment and actually open up Scripture and find who Jesus is? We'd find a few things. First of all, we would find that Jesus flipped the status quo upside down. You know, this is one of the first things that just blew me away when I read the, Old, or the New Testament for the first time, was that, was that Jesus was revolutionary, that Jesus was radical, he was flipping things upside down. And this was revolutionary for me because I grew up in the church. I grew up with the institution. And really, for a period of time there, I thought that maybe uh, Jesus came to this earth so it gave us something to do on Sunday mornings. And as a kid, every Sunday morning, if you know what I mean. And it, it turns out that Jesus did not just come to the earth just to uh, you know, give us something to do on Sunday mornings, but rather he's actually going to take the status quo, take the institutions that were in existence, and completely flip them upside down on its head. You see, everything Jesus did was revolutionary. If we stop and think about who Jesus is for a moment, he's God. Like, he's literally God. And yet, even though that he is elevated as God and he can do anything, uh, he actually lowers himself and he becomes humble and submissive and he becomes a human. He takes on flesh. And then on top of that, he suffers. Uh, what kind of king would suffer? And then what kind of king would die on the cross? You see, even though that Jesus is God, he actually lowered himself for us, for our sake so that way he can suffer and we can be forgiven of our sins. And that's what Philippians 2 here describes from the message paraphrase. It was an incredibly humbling process. Jesus did not claim special privileges. Instead, lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at all, a crucifixion. You see, the reason why Paul is writing this in Philippians is actually a model for us. It's, it's actually for us to look at who Jesus was. And even though he was elevated as God, he lowered himself to be humble um, as a servant. And in the same way, we should not think of ourselves as, as all that great or greater than others or better than other people, but rather that we should have a life of humility and a life of service, that we need to lower ourselves and live a life of humility. You see, Jesus also, he was revolutionary in that he took the social ladder. Uh, when people thought these people in society are on top and these people are on bottom, he actually flipped it completely upside down in its head. That they thought that the religious elite were at the top and they thought that the sinners were at the bottom and Jesus completely flipped that upside down. It turns out that the religious elite who thought they had it all figured out actually had some really difficult conversations with Jesus. And it turns out that the sinners who were just broken and in need of a savior found salvation. You see, these religious elite, their problem was that, was that they thought that their good works and their social status were, were going to save them. 
but they forgot that Jesus looks at the heart. And they were self-righteous, but the sinners were humble. And a story to really illustrate this is one of my favorite stories from Luke 19. And we have Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. So the song says. But he is a tax collector. And this is a big deal, because the tax collector back then was, was not just someone who collected taxes. They were robbers. They were thieves. They were... Um, they had no integrity. They had no character. Their, their character could be sold for a buck. And that's who these people were. And it, t- it turns out that he's actually the chief of tax collectors. So Zacchaeus is a chief of sinners. And we have Jesus is coming from Jericho into Jerusalem. And the crowds are gathering. And because he's a wee little man, he has to climb up in a sycamore tree. So here is he's climbing up in a sycamore tree. And he's just kind of in the background. And he just, he really wants salvation and he knows that he's a sinner and he really wants something else and so that leads us to the next point here that jesus sought out the lost jesus sought out the lost right here in our story and when jesus came to the place he looked up and said to him zacchaeus hurry and come down for i must stay at your house today could you imagine being zacchaeus right there it's almost the uh you talking to me Kind of, kind of question. Is he, is he, are we really having this conversation? Did he really pick me? Because, because Jesus, it wasn't just a, an ordinary tree who was walking by. He actually had to cut through the crowds. See, he had, actually had to walk, and he almost had to kind of push through the crowd, you know, Moses parting the Red Sea type uh, parting, and to get there and actually show up at the tree and then to look up and have this conversation with our broken sinner who's, who's clinging at the very top there. And what does this show about Jesus? Well, it shows that he's concerned for the least of these. It shows that the people who are furthest from him, Jesus has compassion on them. You know, this, this word compassion, I love it. It's a combination of two Latin roots, common passion, suffer with, to suffer with. That Jesus is literally seeing Zacchaeus suffering, and he literally takes that burden on with him, and he suffers with Zacchaeus, and, and he doesn't... And it's the guy that's the furthest out, the most hidden. You, if you're there, you would not have seen him. And Jesus finds that guy. And that's the one that Jesus seeks out. You know, also this is a big deal. To stay at his house and to share a meal was a big status symbol of that time. You know, these days uh, we don't think about these things as much as they did back then. But back then it was a big deal. Back then it was saying, if I'm going to share a meal, I'm going to stay at someone's house. It was saying that that we are completely equal and that I affirm this person. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Third, we find that Jesus confronted the self-righteous. Jesus confronted the self-righteous. And that's exactly how I think I would describe these guys. You know, we talk about these religious elite. Um, they thought that they had it all together. And, and who gave them that title of having it all together? Themselves. So they're literally self-righteous here. It's almost like they thought that Jesus would be impressed by their good works. And it turns out Jesus was not impressed. In our story, it's not just an elite that's hanging out, but we have a crowd. Now this is important because uh, the crowd encompasses everyone, right? So you put everyone together, uh, like put all of us here. We're, we're different, okay? So, so we have this crowd. So it's not just the top, but it's almost kind of like saying that it's the middle, like everyone kind of in the middle here, the crowd, um, the, the common people. 
they're the ones who are hanging around, and here's what they say. When they saw this, they all grumbled. He has gone, and, and by the way, I love the, the grumbling part of it. Um, it. It's not even like, let's, let's talk about this. It's this um, cowardly, kind of under the breath, but loud enough for the person to hear kind of a grumbling. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And I love that, a sinner. Uh, who are they? Well, this is a sinner. I, I love how labels can be put on people and yet be so convincing and so damaging. Now, in this story, we don't have Jesus snapping and yelling at the crowd. He actually does not stop and call them out on it. It's possible he did, and maybe it just was not recorded, but, but I think he just kind of left it alone. But what we do have is we have story after story after story in the New Testament where these religious elite, the Pharisees, were called out for their behavior, and they were called out. Um, you know, for example, we have Jesus calling them a brood of vipers. We have them... We have Jesus calling them uh, sons of Satan. I mean, honestly, of all things for Jesus to call you a son of Satan, holy cow. Uh, He even tells parables, and they're the main character. And they're the ones who are separated from God in this parable. Now, here's what's fun. We talk about the nature of Jesus. We talk about him. Uh, So he's not a wimp. He's not a doormat. But now we have him kind of aggressively calling people out on their sins. And some people look at that and say, see, I told you he's just angry and rude and judgmental and all this. But honestly, is, is that really who Jesus is? Is Jesus overstepping his boundaries here? Not at all. In fact, all he's doing is he's convicting them of their sins so that way they can repent and that that way they can actually be given this salvation and be given this eternal life. We even have in John chapter 3 a story of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He's one of these religious elite. And um, Jesus and Nicodemus have this conversation and that's where we get our famous verse, John 3.16 from, where Jesus describes how Nicodemus can have salvation. He's not condemning them for condemning them. He's convicting them of their sins so that way they can have repentance and come to salvation. But I will tell you this much. The Jesus that has hard conversations with people and actually convicts them on their sins is far different than our image from South Park, where Jesus is just the one that can barely even throw the punch. Finally, we have Jesus' mission today is still revolutionary. Jesus' mission today is still revolutionary. Right here at the very last part of this story, only 10 verses long, but in verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you had to sum up what Jesus is about and why he came, right here. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, whenever Zacchaeus heard this good news, something inside of him changed. Like, have you ever been given a really big gift? Or have you ever, has someone ever done something that's really, really nice for you? Whenever that happens, it's almost like you're overwhelmed by their generosity. You're overwhelmed by their grace. And there's something that happens to our hearts. Where we start to examine our hearts and we start to say, she is, why, why am I this way? Why am I acting this way when here's a person who has gone way out of their way for me? And so what Zacchaeus does is Zacchaeus actually realizes just how uh, much of a sinner he is and how much he has stolen from people. And so he's going to give everything half to the poor and then whatever he's stolen, he's going to give four times back to those people. Something inside of him has changed. He is not the same as he was yesterday. 
And then when he does this, Jesus tells him that surely salvation has come to Zacchaeus' household and that he is a son of Abraham. He's in the family. He's in the family of God. See, this mission to seek and to save the lost is still active today. And really, we actually get to be participants in this. We actually get to share that good news with other people. We get to tell people who have given up about real hope. We get to find people who are broken, and we can tell them about a God who can piece them back together. We can shout loudly to a world that has just completely lost its way, and we can tell them about a path that does not bring destruction. See, it's all about a Jesus who came for them, for you, for all of us, who died on the cross and took away the sins of the world so that way we can receive this salvation and we can receive this transformation through baptism and receiving Jesus into our lives. And that, that, my friends, is what makes Jesus so revolutionary. And all God's people said, Amen.